history is really complicated. Grand narratives attributing many centuries of changes in political thoughts and attitudes to Christianity are simplifications. Historian Tom Holland makes a rivers-to-lake metaphor, saying that many influences flow into the lake that is Christianity. But he seems to be treating all Western culture as Christianity. When understanding Western liberal values, it makes more sense to think of Western values and culture as the lake. And then Christianity is a major river spilling into this lake. Things like Greek culture and Judaism are rivers that split, with some of their waters dumping into the Christian river. But another portion of their water continues and independently dumps into the lake that is Western culture. Christianity is an important part of Western culture, but it is not the definition of Western culture. Some medieval theologians developed ideas that imply liberal morals, but during this time, Christians crusaded in violence while acting intolerant in their own lands. Even in later ages, Christian Europeans violently and repressively conquered imperial territories around the world. They weren't yet applying the liberal values that Christian thinkers developed hundreds of years ago. We should be careful not to exaggerate the extent that Christianity suddenly and single-handedly changed the morality of Western Europe. Christianity can be important to the development of the individual at the same time that the birth of democracy in Athens is also important. In Athens, the individual was not the primary social unit, but there was still a significant development of liberalism. The Greeks and Romans didn't have individual liberty, but did deal with democracy, legitimate government, citizen rights, and the rule of law, which are important to modern liberalism. If it is a virtue to help others, and such help is praised and brings prestige, then this implies or acts practically as if human beings have worth. If they didn't have worth, why would helping be seen as a good thing? So, while understanding the differences between classical and Christian morality, we should be careful not to act as if Roman morality didn't implicitly value the well-being of people, at least in some ways. It's not clear to me why the church arguing for rights, peasants pushing for rights, and plebs fighting for rights are all that different. People generally have a concern for their own interest and use available justifications to argue for it. When the plebs fought for more rights, did they really only care about their class or also their individual conditions and rights? It would be an exaggeration to say there was no sense of self in Greece and Rome. We shouldn't have the impression that Romans were a class hive mind that didn't recognize that individuals existed or that they didn't argue for rights. They just argued for rights for their particular group and didn't have an underlying ideology that rights are something that belong to all humans. The psychological literature is pretty clear that humans naturally have a moral core. In experiments, kids prefer a good guy, they want to reward a good guy and punish a bad guy, and they like someone who punishes a bad guy. However, humans naturally discriminate. Studying hunter-gatherers and small-scale societies, we see that they will straight-up kill strangers. Our moral capacities evolved through natural selection and have shaped us to more easily care for kin. Babies have stranger anxiety. Experiments have shown that toddlers are more helpful 
toward people who they know or have interacted with. Thus, the science and psychology solidly shows that humans have an innate moral core, but we apply it only to a close in-group. Expanding our circle of care beyond that depends on imagination, upbringing, and culture. The Romans were human beings with the same basic psychology. Thus, one major difference between Christian and Roman ideology is that Christianity helped expand the moral circle to include all humans because God loves us all. But let's not confuse this with Christianity inventing morality. Romans deeply cared for those in their in-groups. They valued their lives and well-being. They just didn't have the ideological or social tools to see all humanity as part of the in-group. The idea that people deserve respect isn't new. Although Aristotle thought some people were natural slaves to be used as tools, he thought others had the ability to make deliberative decisions. And though he didn't use a word that directly translates as respect, he argued for morally required attitudes and treatment toward others that are practically the same as that other person having innate moral worth. He was just missing that this should apply to all people and not a subset. At least in theory, his subset wasn't based on wealth, power, or family, but the very nature of you as the type of human who has reason. Christianity owes a great debt to Greek philosophy, starting with Paul, who was deeply versed in it, and who synthesized Greek philosophy with Jewish theology. Famous Christian theologians like Ambrose, Augustine, and Jerome incorporated the four cardinal virtues discussed by Plato and Cicero. These same codes were a foundation for many pagan moral codes. Aquinas, Suarez, and Grotius developed the theoretical architecture of natural law and natural rights, relying on the work of the Stoics. Conceptions of virtue and vice needed Aristotle's Nicomachean ethics. The Christian metaphysical conception of goodness was influenced heavily by Plato. Christian thought depended greatly on previous Greek and Jewish thought. Arguably, the reason it spread so fast and had so much staying power was due to Paul combining these two previous philosophies. In Rome, while the elite disparaged work and freedmen, the freedmen often found pride in hard work and talents. The non-elite more stressed honesty and reliable business dealings compared to the Roman elite. So, hard work and business guile were not unknown to or looked down upon by all Romans. Stoics were against child exposure. So, even this famous example of an immediate change from Roman to Christian values was not a brand new idea. In the founding of the United States, the founders, buildings, coinage, and the Republic itself were incredibly influenced by the Greeks and Romans, and explicitly so. Many Western values are related to modern democracy, which was started by the explicitly Greek and Roman-influenced American founders. For all of Christianity's predominance, Greece and Rome had direct impact on our current system of government which implies and maintains many of our modern Western values. The first modern democratic experiment trying to implement some Enlightenment values was partially based on Rome and how things worked in Roman history. It's not clear how much impact the spread of Christianity had on the morals and welfare of Romans in the Empire. 
Did Roman Christians really value human life more than Roman pagans? Both considered murder wrong, and the sacred inviolability of the human person wasn't a notion Roman pagans or Roman Christians were familiar with. In the empire, Christians were not against slavery. They were against gladiatorial combat, but not because they cared for the life and welfare of gladiators, but because they didn't like the theatrical performances and public shows. They were against the worldliness, licentiousness, and idolatry of gladiatorial fights, rather than the cruelty. Christians focused more on humility, self-distrust, forgiveness, patience when suffering, and self-effacement over self-assertion. Such values existed in pagan philosophies, but Christianity's emphasis was different. It's not clear how strong these attitudes were during Roman times, but they did come to the fore by the Middle Ages. It's hard to even say how such ideals affect current life, much less Roman life. The idea that a Christian was mostly dedicated to social service was practically unknown among Roman Christians. The extent that Christianity affected imperial charity is debated. It probably did affect private and public policy in the direction of more charity. Even if Roman Christians had only minimal welfare impact, their ethics facilitated the belief in the necessity of moral progress and helped supply enthusiasm for moral advancement. Augustus implemented the cult of the emperor to unite the empire in religion, and this worked by creating a religious bond and feeding loyalty. However, it was superimposed on existing faith and involved the official and formal rather than the inner. Christianity affected the internal hearts of men. Rome tried to use Christianity like it used the cult of the emperor, but it was an external imposition. A nominally Christian empire couldn't fully tap into the passionate bond of Christians. While Christian influence on the Roman world was minimal, Christianity was present and dominant in the development of the new nations and states that soon arose in Europe. Thus, it is in the modern world where Christianity's large-scale influence exists. In our age, Christianity is interpreted in social terms. It is modern civilization that is a Christian civilization, not the Christian Roman Empire. It may have been important in the long run for Christian intellectuals to help develop the foundation of modern liberal values. But it took a long time for such values to fully modernize and to be applied in society, and this didn't happen in a straight line. Christians opposed freedom of religion for a long time. Christian Europe burned heretics and persecuted Jews. The juristic principles accepted and advocated by the papacy didn't match those of inquisitions. The papacy ignored claims of conscience when it came to heretical views. With inquisitions, the church didn't simply condemn and prosecute heresies that it stumbled upon. It searched for heresy. Lots of people were killed in anti-heretic crusades. The Reformation didn't limit the persecution and discrimination of Jews. By the end of Martin Luther's life, he was a major anti-Semite and wanted to round them up and make them do hard labor. Christianity in Europe was spread by the pen and the sword. Charlemagne was quite brutal, killing many Saxons and forcing them to convert on penalty of death. He fought many rebellions. In 1209, 20,000 people were massacred in the beginning of a crusade against a religious sect called the Cathars. Protestants also worried about schism and heresy. 
Calvin supported executing a man for his views on the Trinity. There could be no compromise between truth and error. If there's enough doubt, maybe people will even doubt God. Where is the belief in human dignity in all these killings of heretics in wars related to differences of belief? In the Middle Ages, the freedom of the church from secular authority was used to defend the church as an institution, not individual Christians. Heresy was treated like treason. Actual Roman treason laws were taken and applied to heretics. Heretics were considered to be against society. In the eyes of the church, any value for an individual's conscience didn't give heretics the right to act as they did. Minority religious groups wanted tolerance for themselves, but not because of a belief in religious tolerance, but because they thought they had the religious truth. They would repress others if they could. To some extent, a degree of religious tolerance came about due to a stalemate, because no religious group was powerful enough to destroy all the others. The Roman Catholic Church rejected the secular and liberal language of human rights until 1942. It was then that the Pope made human dignity a basis for human rights. Protestant elites were similarly claiming the importance of human rights at the same time. For much of Christian history, Christianity stood for values opposed to modern human rights. Christianity at times stood for peace, but also for war when Christian leaders thought such violence was just. Some Christians stood for abolitionism in the 1800s but many defended slavery since Christianity's birth. Christians believed in the equality of souls, but also patriarchy. Catholicism cheered on the fall of liberal democracy in Austria, Spain, Portugal, and Vichy, France, for sake of its social teachings. Only few Christians denounced fascism early on, and even then, narrowly. Some even served the Reich in Germany. Yet, Christians also helped develop human rights in the 1940s. Christian human rights were more focused on moral constraint than human emancipation or individual liberation. The Christian point to liberation was so that people could conform to God's will and moral order. By the Middle Ages' end, moral equality had not been translated into political equality, and the state had not yet bowed to liberal norms. States just allowed churches their realm of influence in the religious sphere. The Second Vatican Council implicitly affirmed the separation of church and state in their Declaration on Religious Liberty in 1965. It said that the individual person needs freedom in order to exercise conscience and practice religion, and that church-state separation frees churches and their members from coercive state power and prevents the state from interfering. This didn't happen until 1965. Don't be fooled by hundreds of years of philosophy or even democracy spreading across Western Europe. The Catholic Church took until over halfway through the 20th century to formally confirm their belief in a separation of church and state defined in the way that we think that phrase means today. However, even here, some scholars argue that Vatican II did not declare a general preference of a separation of church and state, but simply stated that in some circumstances it is the best option, and this is not a new policy for the church. 
The Catholic position of church and state is that there are two different spheres, a temporal one and spiritual one. However, the church should determine the moral ends and means of governments. The state is bounded by the absolute moral understanding of the church. They justify this by saying that such moral principles can be recognized in natural law by anyone of any religion. So, may be imposed on everyone. The state doesn't determine right and wrong, but decides how to advance the common good within that understanding. While this way of thinking recognizes different spheres, it certainly is not the cleaner separation of church and state that developed during the Enlightenment. In fact, for a state to enforce a moral rule simply because the Catholic Church says it's a moral rule would be a violation of the separation between church and state. Catholic theologians certainly got the ball rolling on a separation of church and state, but the church stalled while other forces in society moved the view into modernity. Ironically, the church's organization was modeled after the despotic, anti-individualistic late Roman Empire. While popes were not tyrannical despots, the church helped shape medieval society in its hierarchical and uniformist structure that limited space for individualism. Early Christianity also adopted a version of Platonic thought that was generalistic. Some of the barbarian, Scandinavian, and Germanic individualism was repressed by Christianity and rediscovered in the Renaissance, Reformation, and Enlightenment. Arguments for Christianity creating the individual often underplay the communal and household focus of Christian ethics, not paying enough attention to the Old Testament where people are both individuals and belong to households. The New Testament continues this when Paul and Peter discuss household and family ethics in their epistles. The early church practiced household baptism, and early Christianity was considered congruent with household-based society. Arguably, a household-centric social theory was dominant in Europe until Enlightenment liberalism and individualism overtook it. For Paul, becoming Christian was joining a Christian community and family, somewhat similar to the patriarchal ways of the time. This wasn't a radical and sudden break, but continued much of the culture that Christianity slowly took over. Canonists of the Middle Ages developed human rights in canon law, but this was still only applied to male Christians and included a narrower set of values than what we now accept. At the end of the Middle Ages, the ideas of moral equality were far from creating political equality, and the state was not close to limiting its powers based on liberal norms. The equality of all God's children somehow didn't transfer to natives or slaves. The divine right of kings is a political religious doctrine that the monarch has unchecked power. Not the people, nor the aristocracy, nor any other estate has power over kings who gain their authority directly from God. The theory came to prominence in England under King James I, reigning from 1603 to 1625, and in France under King Louis XIV, who reigned from 1643 to 1715 the English Glorious Revolution from 1688 through 1689, and the later American and French revolutions weakened this idea, which was basically abandoned by the 1900s. 
the French Revolution's rights of man were not accepted by many at the time, and were rejected by most. The French Revolution in the late 1700s involved group after group of so-called Republicans violating what we'd consider basic rights and protections needed for democracy. If Christianity had so instilled these values into society, then how come transitioning to democracy was so hard? It seems like these revolutionaries never consolidated these principles in their minds. And remember, their opponents were monarchists. Even in the American Revolution, the full separation between church and state was in debate. Democracy itself was. Some argued against democracy because it would weaken the influence of religion. There were a plenitude of religious rules and laws across the states in 1776, and suffrage was limited. Prominent American colonies were set up as governments with a union of church and state. The Massachusetts Colonies Constitution said, God had set up political governments among his people and gave them a body of laws for judgment both in civil and criminal causes, and that these laws were made with the help of some of the elders of their churches to compose a model of the judicial laws of Moses. The Constitution repeatedly refers to Scripture, and even said that someone who blasphemes by willful or obstinate denying of the true God must be put to death. Similarly, Virginia was a chartered Christian mission that the King of England said would propagate Christianity. It had laws against defaming ministers, and church institutions were involved in punishment. The Virginian Constitution said settlers could not speak impiously or maliciously against the Holy and Blessed Trinity, or any of the three persons, or against the known articles of the Christian faith, upon pain of death. Virginia and Massachusetts were representative of most American colonies. <clears throat> American founders had to overcome a strong belief in the union of church and state to officially separate them in the U.S. Constitution. European nobility seemed to assume their superiority at least into the 1800s, if not the 1900s. In some of their arrogance, they sounded more like Greeks and Romans assuming the natural superiority of the aristocracy. Secular liberalism isn't the only ideology that medieval Christianity gave birth to. Secular totalitarianism like Jacobinism and Bolshevism also originated in Christian myths. Nazism and communism developed in the Christian West. They both were like millennium cults. Millennium cults are based on Christianity. The Bible says saints will rule for a thousand years, and this idea facilitated these movements. Fascism and communism were not Christian, but they were influenced by Christian myths. If Christianity had developed such a strong notion of secularism during the Middle Ages, then how come the common person didn't seem to respect or agree with such a church-state separation hundreds of years after that age ended? It took the Enlightenment-influenced founders to push the United States into secularism. And even then, Western Europe and the United States took another century or two to more fully practice what we now call Western values. The Renaissance, Enlightenment, and other cultural and philosophical developments were necessary to achieve modern moral values.
essential Christian thought alone didn't get us to where we are today. The Renaissance advanced the concept of dignity by focusing less on this life being a test for the next world and more on this life having value in and of itself. Middle Ages theology took dignity from man's relationship to God. The Renaissance more focused on the human being as an independent being in our terrestrial world. Dignity was from our world, not a reflection from God. This new conception was used to improve the lives of people in the current world, rather than wallow in the pointlessness of the current reality while praying for bliss in the next. It could have been that a break from the Christian conception of dignity was necessary for people to make this world better and push for liberal politics. That said, the base of dignity could have still come from the popular Christian belief, and Christianity did also have a major strain of helping people in this world. So as it pertains to helping human welfare, the Renaissance advancement is one of degrees. Christian equality did not clearly apply to non-Christians. It was long debated whether they were equal or had souls. Less focus on God in the Enlightenment helped develop a new and inclusive form of egalitarianism. Without God, some people concluded that they should not limit equality to just those of the same religion. In Christianity, free will is restrained by God. Right reason and morality are restrained by God. Only through Him can we do good. We are fallen creatures and cannot be good without Him. It took the Enlightenment for human freedom and morality to not be dependent upon a superior divine agency. The true individual and his agency developed in the 1600s. It used Christian ideas, but also transformed them. The term values didn't arise as a specific focus in philosophy until the 1800s. This is when the morality of consequences and acts rose to prominence rather than the virtues of an individual. So, we need to be careful not to give Christianity credit for something that arose long after Christianity was dominant. That said, the moral value of things in earlier philosophy and theology was implied, even if not explicitly stated. Individualism as a systematic theory was developed in Europe in the 1800s. The term wasn't much of a focus before then. We need to remember that the idea of Christendom didn't arise out of brotherly love among Christians. It was facilitated by the rivalry in wars with Muslim forces. The modern concept of the West was heavily influenced by the Cold War. Before this, Europe was not individualistic, democratic, liberty-minded, or tolerant. Democracy is a relatively new thing to Western Europe, and so is the current level of tolerance toward minorities. Spain was a dictatorship for a generation after India and Japan transitioned to democracy. So, just because we can find theologians or philosophers talking about natural law or individual rights that sound like modern values, doesn't mean such values were applied in societies to anywhere near the degree they are now. Intellectual ideas can matter less to the broader culture and society than intellectuals might like to think. While Christianity changed the morals of the West, its basic principles weren't totally unique. We should be careful about exaggerating the extent that many basic Christian principles were unheard of in history.
Paul wasn't the first to claim personal individual salvation. Orpheus, Mithra, Buddhist, and certain Hindu traditions similarly asserted the individual. Individuality was recognized in ancient Oriental cultures, Judaism, and Germanic and Scandinavian cultures. Greek and Roman literature and writings of various kinds make very clear that they were aware of individuality. The difference is the emphasis and moral worth placed on the individual. The Stoics influenced natural rights in three ways. By expanding the concern of people past the city to the cosmos, by emphasizing the individual as the moral agent, and by extending the idea of natural law. Is it possible that without Christianity, these Stoic ideas could have been built upon to create modern values? Maybe. But that's not how it happened, and there was no sign of this happening before Christianity came along. Multiple universal faiths, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Zoroasterism, helped lower ethnic and cultural differences and facilitated states gaining the loyalty of a variety of peoples based on a common faith rather than being members of the same ethnic group. Over time, some local cultural identities disappeared. Conflicts shifted from ones where gods chose whether or not to help their worshippers to wars of good versus evil. Not everything Christianity did was brand new. It was more an evolution building directly upon earlier philosophies and religions than a crazy break from the past. The Jewish and Greek influences had been mentioned, but there are also similarities and influences from Zoroasterism. Zoroasterism evolved over time, but often had an almost monotheistic character to it. In some sense, it is dualist in that God fights an epic battle against evil but God is the stronger of the two and will win in the end. Every human must participate in this war by using their free choice to be good. Zoroastrianism is universal because all souls can be redeemed in the final judgment. The religion was supposedly founded by a single prophet named Zoroaster, similar to Abrahamic prophets. Three Persian dynasties used Zoroastrianism as the state religion of Persia. There are many mythological similarities between stories and predictions of the Bible and that in Zoroastrianism. Christianity was likely influenced by these, and maybe Judaism as well, through the Jewish community in Babylonia. I don't think any of these influences imply that Christianity was not impactful, but they do suggest that many of the ideals and beliefs that made Christianity different than Roman religion already existed. Not only did Christianity not invent much of what made it different than Greek and Roman paganism, but it's plausible that if Zoroastrianism spread through the Roman Empire and became the Roman religion, that if Zoroastrianism was put in the same political dynamic as Christianity, it may have also developed similar modern values. I want to claim Christianity had an important impact for modern Western values. But that doesn't mean we should exaggerate by claiming that only Christianity could have produced this outcome. I'm making a softer claim than that. Reviewing the statistical social science literature, it seems that Protestantism is often correlated with liberal-like values, but sometimes other variables supersede and it isn't clear that Protestantism 
has power outside of the West. If that's so, then either Protestantism doesn't have an effect, or it is conditional on something else going on in the West. Also, often the regressions show Protestantism is related to liberal-like values, not Catholicism, and especially not Orthodox. So it's not a Christian thing in general. This begs the question, if Christianity across time and space only developed into modern Western values in the West, then is it not Christianity, but the West? I say, sure, but nevertheless, none of the mitigations and qualifications mentioned above negate the history that the spread of Christianity and its fundamental essential values and beliefs helped facilitate the development of modern Western values. My ultimate point is that this seed was important, but so was the political and social dynamic of the West. This dynamic was the rich soil that Christianity needed to grow into the tree that eventually blossomed liberal values.